Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Lainey. Hi, it's Joanna. Welcome to Show Your Work. I laughed so hard seconds before we began this podcast, and I kind of want to open it now like a Vincent Price laugh. I want that just to be the opener of the podcast every time. <laughs> oh, God. That so was bad. awful. I know. There's nothing worse than We should not laugh. act. I already know I can't act. Well, and like when it's already been there, the real deal, and then you go back to a, uh, a previous, like trying to recreate it, terrible. Okay, so you have to talk to me about something that you've been saving and I you have haven't been texting me. I have a confession. Me. You were away. You know, I was bored. What whatever. the fuck did you do? I did a thing that I really didn't expect to do. You know, I have this friend and she was talking like, hey, you should try this. It's really good. Um, and I, I didn't expect to, but I listened to the Goop podcast which episode? The one with Julia Roberts, of obviously. Okay, and you loved it. Because uh, my friend, hi Lisa, said correctly that, first of all, people who have said that I sound like Gwyneth Paltrow, I really dislike that and also maybe kind of heard it in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, my friend pointed out that she's, and I hate to give her any praise in any way, she's a good interviewer. She asked the right follow-up questions. First of all, they just dive right in. There's no small talk. There's right. no like, so you're working on this new thing. It's all immediately about like husband, kids, sex life, go. Like it was very detailed. Um, but she's a good interviewer. I have heard that, okay, from people who are, um, from people who listen regularly or listened at other times and other episodes, they have said that she's actually not. But I wonder if Julia is someone who's like, even when Gwyneth is in her presence, Gwyneth knows, well, I can't be my usual like half-ass shit. Oh, it's very clear the power dynamic between them. Right. Like Julia Roberts is, it's clear that Gwyneth feels the way we do. Like, she just stops short of saying, you're Julia Roberts. Right. Um, she might even say that. Uh, and Julia Roberts being Julia is like, I mean, come on. I'm just. <laughs> and the laugh. And the laugh. And yeah. the. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You can feel her smiling. Does she curse? Into the microphone. Um, first of all, no, I don't think so. And second of all, I can't believe that you've said curse. Well, it's because she would say curse. She would say curse. You're right. right. She would I'm, say curse. I'm using yes. a word that she would use. Yes. Or cuss. Yeah. Um, no, I, no, she would say curse. Yeah. She, does, she did not curse okay. or swear. Yeah. That I remember. Um, but guess what she does do with the ladies in her neighborhood? You what? must have heard this. Somebody must have come running to you. No. She plays Mahjong. Stop. Oh, she God. plays Mahjong. Gwyneth, 
What's I don't I what is mahjong? I don't really understand. Of course it. you don't, Julia. Uh, well, I can't believe that you don't know. It's so artistic. It's so wonderful. I'm going to teach you," she said. If Goop fucking does a guide to mahjong, like in six months, I'm gonna I, like I will. I I don't even know because she already ruined dim sum. Do you remember when I freaked out at her fucking bullshit dim sum recommendations? Yes, I do. Anyway, um, yeah, so I can't believe you told me this about Julia Roberts because I would love, I, I feel like if, if there's one time where I would be my competitive, like I'm very competitive when I play Mahjong. Um, like, just <laughs> take off the end of that sentence. We can just say I'm very competitive. We know. But I wonder if that would be the one time when I wouldn't like, like would let her win? wipe someone's ass. Like, I'm or, shocked. Or let them wipe my ass on the mahjong table. Like, I wonder if my skills, I would put them aside and say, hi, Julia, whatever you want. Like, you know the thing when they're mixing all the tiles, they're stirring them with their fingers? Is there a word for it? Shuffling. Stirring, yeah. Shuffling, sure. <laughs> no, okay. Um, but, like, can't you just see her kind of cr- wisecracking and sipping, like, I don't know, a Long Island iced tea or something while stirring her mahjong tiles? I can't believe Julia Roberts plays mahjong. Ah. Oh. I, you just broke me, Duanna. <laughs> Some people are out there and like, I think that's going to be my in. If I ever get a chance to interview her again, I'm going to say, Julia, you haven't played real Mahjong until you've played with me. But then here's the problem with that. Like, she what is this like white lady Malibu Mahjong that she Well, plays? I think it's New Mexico Mahjong for what it's worth. Okay. Um, but then she's going to know that you listen to the Goop podcast. Like, I don't know. Are to you- me, I, I would… I actually don't – here's here's what – I can't here's, believe nobody ran to you with this information. Here's my assessment of what you did. You watch everything that Julia Roberts does and you read every, like, article that Julia Roberts is a part of. When I want to get your attention – Everybody out there, here's the secret. When I want to get your attention, I'll type in your email address. And then in the subject, I'll be like, OMG, Julia Roberts. And I'll link to something else in the body, but I know I'm going to hear back from you. So my, my interpretation of you listening to Goop is not because it was Gwyneth Paltrow. It was because it was a Julia Roberts production. Just oh. like I know you're going to see Ben is back. A hundred percent on both. There is nothing that, and there's no other episode of Goop that somebody could have said to me, oh, it's about talking about names and how interesting they are. It would have been like, nope. Um, (laughs) But Julia Roberts is your hook. Every time. Absolutely. Like, I think that you'd probably go to an NFL game. If (laughs) if Julia Roberts was going to be, I don't know, uh, the halftime show performer or something. I have standards. Like, I would go to an NFL game and, like, sit beside, uh, I don't know, Jason Kadams muttering about how they had to, he had to figure out this play and that play and whatnot. But, yeah, no, there's very little that I won't. In my defense, uh, though… She's ostensibly there to plug homecoming, though she barely does. And I maintain that it is excellent. For weeks now, mm-hmm. when we're sitting, you know when you're sitting in front of Netflix being like, I don't know, what do you want to watch? I have said more than once, I just want more homecoming. It's so, so good and not in a Valentine's Day, Julia Roberts kind of yep. way. Uh, so yes, I would watch anything. But her current press tour, she's almost 51. 
We're almost at the end of Julia's oh, no, I 50. I think she's 51. Her birthday's in October. End of October, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was probably a few weeks ago. So she is 51. Um, but yeah, it's the, the press tour is legit, yeah. uh, whatever she's doing. But yeah, I'll consume anything. Well, I'll match you saying that Homecoming is very good with me saying she is so good in Ben is Back. Um, and when I talked about her cursing, you know, there is a particular thing. Like, Julia Roberts doesn't – she selectively curses with selective roles. And here, she's playing like a mom. Right. A mom who is desperately trying to save her son who has a terrible addiction. Right. And – she is, I mean, she goes, she, she is that mom and she gets dirty and she gets mad and she is, uh, yeah, a furious, broken Julia. I love it. Uh, I always go back to August Osage County and eat the fish, bitch. <laughs> Still one of my favorite all-time quotes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. That was really great. And again, a little heartbreaking that I know somewhere out there people are playing Mahjong with Julia Roberts and it's not me. I like I held on to that for days. You're right that I didn't text you because I was like, how can I not talk about this? And of course, she would describe it the way it should be described as artistic and beautiful. Yeah. It is an artistic game. Like you, there are things that Mahjong reveals to you anyway. This is not a podcast about Mahjong, but. You said that you were going to teach me. We're coming up to the holidays. I expect to learn. Okay. I, I'm waiting to see who you're going to fill out the rest of the foursome with. Great. Okay. So uh, our podcast this week, big story, big star, big news, Taylor Swift. And like a Taylor Swift story that is updating even as we're recording. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's been a while since she's had a big a big, big news day like this. And a big, big news work day. Right. Right? Like most, let's be honest, most of the time when we talk about Taylor Swift, um, especially on the blog, well, the only times really we talk about Taylor Swift on the blog is about the gossip she generates. Yeah. She's had slightly uh, more work-oriented luck on the podcast. Uh, we talked about her lawsuit against that gropey DJ and, of course, her sort of movement into somebody who takes a political position uh, back at the midterm American elections. But you're right. It's been a while. And that's going to be something I'm going to want to talk about because, yeah, the story here is, as per the email that you sent me uh, just moments ago, yep. headline, Taylor Swift's new record deal could pay as much as $200 million. That's right. So, to be fair to us, when we do talk about Taylor non-gossip, we love her fucking work. Like, we have spent an episode on this podcast talking about her branding. We, I think I called her the Matrix. Yes, you did, saying there were always more layers, more things to be found, more whatever. Right? Yes, the business, the corporation, I think I coined it like, I don't know, Taylor Swift Enterprises or something, because her business has always been, she keeps it undercover, like it's not something that she shows off, but we all know behind the scenes that this is a businesswoman, an artist, but also a very savvy businesswoman. So just quick background, since the beginning of her career, uh, Taylor Swift has been signed to Big Machine Label Group, BMLG, right. run by Scott Borchetta. 
Um, the story goes very briefly, he, you know, discovered her in Nashville and he signed her. And typically when new artists are signed, this is a very traditional format. They get signed, they get an advance, they have to earn against that advance. And the way that a traditional music deal goes, the label owns your master recordings. So the original, um, love story, um, or style or whatever your favorite Taylor Swift song is. The label owns that master. Right, because they're buying it from you. That's what the advance is for, right? Right. Q Don Draper, that's what the money is for. That's right. It's you are making music for them. You are an artist for them. And yeah, it's their property. That's right. Now, Taylor does own her publishing rights, which are the master recordings of the master recordings. Like that is the original song. Right. The publishing rights are my understanding, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, if, for example, somebody wants to do a cover of Style, yep. she wrote the song, she owns that. She gets to say, okay, Adele, I mean, whoever, yeah. you can cover uh, Style. It's almost like the difference between uh, a writer's rights and, a, and the production rights, essentially, right? right? Like, she owns the rights to the written material, which is not the same thing as the record with Taylor Swift right. singing it. Taylor Swift song. Right. But let's say a car company is making a commercial. Yes. And the perfect song for that 30-second commercial is the chorus to Blank Space. Yes. Then the label… I'm really excited to see the car commercial <laughs> that's advertised with Blank Space, by the way. Then the label has control over that. Right. And they judiciously use it to sell things or not. And that's why sometimes you'll notice that a song starts all of a sudden popping up on all kinds of shows and movies. And you're like, wow, somebody's playing fast and loose with these licensing rights all of a sudden. Right. Um, whereas, yeah, uh, publishing or that kind of thing, it's it's more rare to happen, right? Like yeah. a cover, sure, but that's less often going to happen than a car needing right. a song. And like there are mitigating circumstances here in that like there are artists who – need to be consulted before the label can give the whatever car company the right. And typically, like, if the artist is really vehemently against it, then, yeah, if they have a good relationship with their label and they're a big enough name, like, Beyonce is not going to license a song to, I don't know, at this point. Or let's, a better yet, a better example would be, like, Jay-Z's songs are not going to be played on the, like, for the NFL. Right. But... Even those people who have those rights, A, of course, they've worked up to them, and that's a handful of people. And right. that's a relatively new thing to ask for. Like in the music industry, the control issue and artists having control and retaining control is has been a longer fight that's still going. Uh, it's something probably we don't talk about as much, but obviously mm-hmm. the the you know the one that comes immediately to mind is Kesha whose contract yeah. to work under her abuser Dr. Luke was restrictive for years if not decades yeah. um and i think still has arms today um this is a new ish thing for artists to ask for yeah. to retain those rights well and you know there are senior artists legendary artists who open the door for them to be able to do this like Prince, as we all know, famously feuded with his label, and he's the one who came up with the quote, like, 
if, you know, you don't own your masters, then you're a slave to your master, right? Like, it's that quote. That's a good quote. It is. I mean, it's Prince. And it was very controversial and provocative at the time. Some people saw him as a spoiled artist, right? People didn't really understand at the time in the 90s, the the artist commercial pull push with the label. And very famously, you guys can look this up if you want to. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but George Michael, And his label got into a big lawsuit and he was also fighting for artist rights. And just to get like the biggest example of how this can go is everybody knows that for a while, if you remember, or I think even still, Michael Jackson and now Michael Jackson's estate owned the The Beatles Beatles catalog, catalog. right? Like that is weird. It's huge. Yeah. But even so, if you are one level below these people, um, this is not a conversation you get to have. You know, if you are, oh, I don't know, Fergie uh, or, (laughs) uh, you know, somebody who's like a known quantity but not a super megastar, this is not a conversation you're having. No. It was already, to have those rights uh, was already unprecedented Mm -hmm. and in this new deal, of course… Uh, the big deal is that she is retaining the future master recordings. Right. So her deal with uh, Big Machine just ended. The industry has been speculating for months now what she was going to do because there were signs that she was unhappy, that she was pushing back against Big Machine saying, I want my master's. And Big Machine's value, this company's value, is like something like 35% tied to her master's. That's how they make money. Of course. So there was a push-pull. They're not people who we know have broke millions of people. No. And what were the signs that she was unhappy? What were the… Well, and I mean, you can speak to this in other fields in entertainment. Typically, if you're happy and you want to re-sign with somebody, you don't wait until the very last day of the contract, the previous contract. You know what I mean? Like when a contract lapses, let's say it's a five-year contract, by the three-and-a-half-year, four-year mark, you're already talking. Yeah, absolutely. People know what's coming up, for sure. You're already talking. And so you, presumably, if things go well, if you want things to remain the same, or if you are both at the table negotiating in a way that is beneficial to both parties, the deal gets done before the contract expires. But we were getting closer and closer and closer to the expiration date. No announcement had been made. And that is typically a signal to everybody that, hey, something's up. Taylor wants more. Right. She's shopping. Or out. Right. So ultimately, uh, it's Republic Records and Universal Music Group. And uh, yeah, so this article, it's really interesting. So Universal will let Swift keep her future master recordings, which should revert to her five years after the release of each song. That's right. As for her previous master recordings, those are still owned by Big Machine, but there is word via Billboard that Universal may be buying Big Machine. Right, at which point they become hers anyway. Or she's, we're not hearing about any negotiations behind the scenes that they have promised her, hey, if we acquire a big machine, we are willing to come back to the table with you and give you what you want. We'll see. I got to be honest, Taylor Swift is powerful enough that she could say to Universal, go buy big machine for me. Um, That could be part of the negotiation. This is the level 
that we're talking about right now. Like this is, I hate this word because it's overused, but this is almost unprecedented, this kind of a deal for an artist. It is unprecedented in the sense of there is probably, no, there is no other artist who has her numbers, right? Every time she releases an album, it's one million copies sold in a week. Not many people can claim four albums in a row that have done that. I mean, we're just not seeing those numbers anymore. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, sure, Britney, NSYNC, whatever, could sell a million in a week, but that was before streaming. Yes. So in the age of streaming, for an artist to be like, hey, here's my album, and people actually go out and buy the whole album a million times, and she did it this many times, whether you like her or not, and I know many of you out there don't, she is the only one who's been able to lay claim to that. Here's the thing, though. So we, I had a great time talking for the last 12 or so minutes about uh, the deal and what it means and where it has come from historically. Uh, And then you talked about her sales numbers, which are huge. And I could sit here for an hour and talk about Taylor Swift, the businesswoman. The elephant in the room for me is that we're not talking about Taylor Swift's music. If Beyonce signed this deal, and Beyonce is different, we would say, what is she going to make next? What is she going to do? What, how is she going to create a thing? And we talk about the archive and her imagery and what was happening next. Taylor Swift is amazing to me because these sales numbers are huge. She is a consummate businesswoman. I'm fascinated by every move she makes. And I don't care about her as an artist at Mm -hmm. all. Right. Is that nuts? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it is nuts because I actually do care about her as an artist. I really, really, really loved 1989, the album. Yeah, but that was last album. Yeah. I did not love Reputation. I like certain songs on the album, but I don't know that it was her, like, artistic peak. Like, was there a, was there even a, a... An anthem from Reputation? I don't think there was. I I think maybe the biggest song off of Reputation would have been Delicate, or at least the most, like, had the most longevity. But even Delicate wasn't the culture-piercing anthem, as you say, as some of the songs on, uh, on 1989 were. All of the songs. Like, yeah. that is an album. One of the reasons 1989 was so big, and probably, uh, here's a word I don't use often, probably like a crossover hit is because it was so front-to-back singable in the old way. Yeah. Remember when you would get an album mm-hmm. and it was a story, right? Like yeah. from front-to-back, the whole thing was a story. And that is what 1989 felt like. And you went on the journey and you understood what was happening. And I don't feel that coming off her on a consistent basis. I didn't feel it before 1989. I did not care about uh, November Scarves or whatever that song was called. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I just, it was all a bit of much for me. And then I was like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is something. And I, once again, don't care about reputation. And I'm not I don't follow Taylor Swift super closely, mostly because I feel like my ventures into her Instagram have mostly been about the cats. 
but I'm not excited for her art and I wish I were because this is a massive deal. I'm excited for her business moves and her savvy moves and even for her to be, as you say, like a person that we talk about, a gossip person in the industry and her things she says. But those are all more interesting. Even her style choices are more interesting to me than her music. You know what? I, 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 I see where you're coming from. Like I don't agree, but I see it. And I wonder though, if this is the opportunity to get people like you to care in that reputation she knew was the last album she would deliver for Big Machine. Yeah. It came out pretty much exactly a year ago. So she knew I have a year to go. So this is definitely, this is going to be my last album. She drops that. She turns 29 in a few weeks, meaning that by next year, entering into a new era, she's 30. Taylor is 30. That's right. Taylor the Taylor Swift, who we've watched from, you know, ringlety, guitar-playing girl at the Country Music Awards or wherever, I, I don't know how many years ago, she was always a teenager, right? Like, she just always was. And even, there are a lot of people who still see her as a teen. That teen is properly a businesswoman, a woman, entering into this new contract with this new label for however many years, like these details are being kept quite secret. Like they're not giving specifics, which is why there's been so much speculation, but she's going into a new era, a 30 year old era. And I wonder if now is when Duanna, you start caring about the art. Like, I wonder if she kind of like wrote off reputation. This is going to be my final album of that era. And I'm going to show you something real new and exciting. I mean, I love that. Do I sound like a Pollyanna? Like, I mean, it's possible. I, you know, we don't have a lot of people to refer to. This is one of my favorite things on this podcast is, is there a template for the Taylor Swift career? Not really, right? Like there's not, there are precious few people who move from childhood to adulthood in the spotlight anyway, Mm -hmm. let alone as artists who are creating everything they do. Like I'm generally more fascinated by actors, but let's be honest, actors choose roles that are handed to them or that they fight for. Right. An artist creates everything for themselves, give or take songwriters. I have not forgotten you songwriters. So I don't know. I don't know if there's like, it's, she's carving her own path. Like if what you're saying is true, if she's yeah. like, okay, I'm going to appeal to adults now, yeah. fully understanding that as all of us have been talking about for the last 10 years, her fans are growing with her. Like Mm -hmm. you can think of Taylor Swift as a teenager, but you can't write off her fans as teeny boppers Mm -hmm. because they've been growing up also. Yeah. Unlike Avril Lavigne's, as you joke. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm just getting at, I don't know who she looks to. And I don't know why I think there has to be somebody she looks to because she hasn't needed it so far. I don't think that she needs to look to anyone, but, and there are many people who are going to be so mad at me for saying this, and I am going to run and hide after I say it, but I have a couple of points to make of similarity. And that is, if there is anyone that she may have a 1%, just 1% similarity to, it may be Prince. Okay. 
People talk about Prince's archive. Right. They're still fighting about it, right? This is somebody who was so prolific. He just wrote songs and songs and he hid them away. Mm -hmm. And she is known for that too. I mean, she is a songwriter. Yes. She has a vast catalog we will never see. She's writing songs all the time and she's archiving those songs, saving them away. Sometimes she pulls them out and she drops them into new albums. Sometimes she saves them. Like Prince who, for example, would write songs for other artists, like he didn't want to record the song, uh, Sinead O'Connor song. Oh, nothing compares to you, of course. That's a Prince song, as we all know, but we know it to be sung by Sinead O'Connor, right? She made it hers, yes. Taylor does this all the time. She's giving songs to country artists all the time. Um, uh, Better Man, I think, was a song that she gave to uh, the band that sang Pontoon, Um, Little Big Town. Sure. Um, so she does this all the time too. So we, when you say like, what is in there? What is the potential? I don't know that anybody knows the vastness of this song archive that she is building and building and building. And like, she's only almost 29. But I'm so much more interested in Taylor Swift as Diane Warren than I am as Mm -hmm. a girl with guitar on stage. Remember on, I think, two concert tours ago when she would bring out a new special guest at the end of every show. Yes. Like, I think that, like that, it felt kind of stunty and weird. And I remember thinking, oh, she's just tired. She just wants people to like look at somebody else so she can pick her wedgie. Yeah. Um, I think she might be more of a songwriter. Oh, absolutely. Then like, she is a, yeah. per- but that's, but that's exciting. That's more exciting to me. Music for its own sake. Yeah. Like, what you're describing is a world where the Taylor Swift empire does not have to worry about curling her hair before no. stepping out. And I'm delighted at the prospect. And that's the big difference because, you know, to appease the people who are mad at me about the Prince thing, he was the consummate performer, like a genius. He could of play course. almost every instrument and electrifying live. Whereas I'm not going to say that Taylor Swift is electrifying live. Like I... <laughs> no, and- <laughs> Like that is, it's not the same there. But as you said, it's electrifying when she's working on the music. Yes. Abs- like that part, I get the the lyric play and that kind of thing is great. Um, but essentially what this says to me and what you sound like you're saying is this allows her to take a bit of a step back. Um, you know, I, Adele, for example, to use the adult comparison, because they're probably very close in age, mm-hmm. but Adele is, you know a huge... Adele might even be younger. Adele, I think she's now 30 this year. But when Adele is not promoting an album, as we know, she promotes, she tours, she is funny on talk shows and fucking funny in her live shows. Yeah. And then she goes away. Yes. And you know that she is wearing a faded black sweatshirt to the corner store. Yeah. And like being lazy at the grocery store and taking a cab back home. And by the way, Adele is older. Right. But not by much, I don't think. A year. Yeah. So it's interesting if this will change Taylor Swift, the celebrity, in favor of Taylor Swift, the the musician. And I have to say mogul. Like it's not just a, yeah. a woman curled up writing songs. And how about your interest level in Taylor Swift, the um, music industry pioneer slash crusader? and protector of artists. Hugely interested in that. And uh, what I thought you were going to say is, you know, 
Taylor Swift, the crafter. Mm -hmm. One thing that we haven't heard, uh, it may have happened quietly, but it's not as big a thing, is you hear about artists starting their own labels and nurturing up artists behind them. We haven't heard that. I am interested in the person that she would choose Mm -hmm. if she decided to go that way. Yeah. um, Because that's not something we've seen. We hear all the time, Beyonce signed this person or so-and-so signed, you know, Drake signed that person, but we don't hear about that with her. No. And I I agree. I think that that's coming. But before she does that, she's actually setting up some industry foundational pillars to protect artists, or at least in her mind, she's doing it. So let me just read the details to you right now. According to the singer, the most important point of all in her deciding to sign with UMG was the label agreeing to distribute a cut of proceeds from any sale of its Spotify shares to artists non-recoupable, meaning that they'd be paid even if they hadn't earned back their latest advance. The major labels amassed over a billion dollars in Spotify and other streaming services over the years, as reported here several years ago. UMG is the last hanging on to all of its Spotify equity. Sony sold half of its shares and made non-recoupable distributions. Warner sold all its holdings but didn't make the payouts non-recoupable and has suggested it would share proceeds in the event of a sale as its peers did. So, Streaming disrupted the recording, the music industry. We know this already. We also know that she had a little bit of a a fight with Apple and Spotify a few years ago. Yeah, she was super vocal about it. She was super vocal. She went head to head with Apple. They conceded that she basically won and they wanted to be friends with her. So that's great. And then with Spotify, remember, she like refused to allow Spotify and then she like pushed them to the point where then they had to make friends with her. So she, as you always say, used her capital Uh and made it so that it worked out for her. Now what she's doing is, I think, trying to set a precedent here where, hey, I'm signing this deal and I'm getting my shares out of streaming because the streaming services have to pay like a fee to the labels in order to be able to stream the music, right? of course. The labels just take that. And don't give it back to the artists. That's right. Because they think we already had it. This is where we go back to owning… The the advances and the masters. The advances and and the masters. Yeah, exactly. They're like, we can put it wherever we want. Right. Now, Taylor Swift is one of the first, if not only, artists who are like, hey, but, you know, you can't cut me out of the streaming either. Right. At no point in any part of these deals, when the labels make money, do I not get a cut of every dollar you take from me. And the reason it's Taylor Swift more than any other artist, is because she has been watching this happen. I'm sure there are artists who are 50 who are like, well, yeah, but we had already set a precedent back when we made our biggest album. Or yeah, but whatever. She has been able to do this because she was watching this change while she was coming up and being successful the whole time. It's that thing where we all get a lot of mileage out of grumping about young people. Yeah. But this is one of those things where if you are a young person and you understand how it works and you see how something is working more than and before your superiors, you can really make it advantageous for yourself. You can really ensure that you're the one who understands this and that you you're making a line in the sand. Well, I have to say that's something that like I might have to learn from her because this is When you look at it just on paper, 
Listen, for someone like you, and I know you're nerdy this way, it's sexy knowing the streams of money and where it's coming from and the accounting. I find it totally fucking boring. You know, like if I were an artist, if I were Taylor Swift, I would be like, let me just write some songs and pay me. And I want to know the overall pieces of the deal. But she's getting into the nuts and bolts of her industry. Like she actually knows Percentages. Percentages. She knows precedence. She knows, like, if it's a house, she understands the beams. She, un- like, you know, she knows where the, fuck, like, the load-bearing wall is. Like, she knows where the studs are. Oh, my I God. Fucking, it's so cute listening to you talk about houses. It's like me talking about sports. It's fucking shit that I have absorbed just by Yasik talking at me during home renos. But basically, I don't really know. Like, I would walk into a house and be like, that's really nice paint. And I really like, you know, the pot lights. But she really has made it a point to, while she's writing her songs, lots and lots and lots of them, she's also taking meetings from her team and she's making them teach her. You know, I what I'm about to say next is pure speculation. But Taylor Swift is the daughter of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a financial executive. Yes. And it is not hard for me to believe, to imagine, to write in the Taylor Swift biopic the scene where her father says to her, we will do this and we'll pursue your music career, but you are going to promise me that you are going to be paying attention to your money. You're not going to let yourself get fleeced, that you're going to learn this, that you're going to come up through this. I would not blink an eye if somebody, you know, hacked Taylor Swift's phone, don't do that, and found her day planner. I wouldn't bat an eye to see that she had an hour a week with her financial advisors because I think ultimately she likes it. There are so many artists who don't participate in the money, artists, musicians, writers, actors, everybody. So for her to be this involved, I think, yeah, she does enjoy it herself. So this brings me to my final question and my favorite part of the article. Uh, I hope that when we post it, this update is still at the bottom. It reads, update. This article initially stated that Swift's guarantees were worth close to $100 million. A representative from Universal responded, saying, The reporting in this article is entirely inaccurate, but would not offer specifics. A different source has since provided the $200 million figure. <laughs> so it actually could go up, because it's certainly, the one hundred was too low, yeah, somebody was like, um, you are undervaluing her or us. Can you please get it right? So I love that, that somebody on her team, because you know it was her team, oh, yeah. saw this and was like, excuse me? As if she would sign for a paltry $100 million. Double that shit. Yeah. Amazing. What does she do with all her money, do you think? Um... Like, if she loves it as much as we're talking about it, if she's yeah. capitalizing and following it and making sure she gets the revenue from all the places she's supposed to, what's it all for? Well, I go back to your previous point. Like, eventually, after this deal is over, are we going to see a brand new label or whatever the word is for company that represents artists yeah, in 10 I, years? And is it going to be like the Matrix? That it's going towards the Matrix? Maybe. Because, you know, you don't see her, again, she's not somebody who's like, get me into movies. She's not 
creating a digital archive of herself, as we talk about with Beyonce. It's interesting because you don't really see where the money goes. Like, yes, I know, I know, houses and clothes, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure she, like, bought and sold houses next to all kinds of boyfriends and whatever else. But that's chump change. Yeah. For what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, because as you point out, 200 million is not a lifetime fortune. It's her salary for the next five years. Yeah. And of course, she's smart at investing it. I'm sure what you just said about her dad. So she's making more in interest somewhere else. It's not like she's not interested in big material items. I mean, she we know she has her own airplanes now. She has multiple properties. But what is the big goal? Like, what is she going to dump this in? And I wonder, like… You know, I think it's been, what, five years now that Jay-Z, uh, around the age like of 42 or three or so, acquired or invested in title. And I, and it's, let's be honest, and it was messy and it has been messy. It hasn't been the big resounding success that he wanted it to be. And I wonder if she is like watching, learning and being like, when it's my time, it's going to be a lot cleaner and it's going to be a lot more dominant. Well, that is interesting and a great place to kind of pause because Taylor Swift never lets us see anything messy. Things go well for Taylor or they don't go at all. Businessly. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah. So you're exactly correct. She's poised for something big. She'll outlast us. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So next is a story I pitched to you. Um, I'm going to make a note and... I'm going to show it to you at the end of this discussion because when I pitched this to you, I made a prediction that if we did put this in the lineup, that you would say something. And I want to know by the end of our conversation about this person, whether or not the thing that I predict that you're going to say is said. Okay. So I just want to describe what's going on here. You've actually reached for your notebook. Um, So is this what I think it is? You're going to fold it up and put it near me, and then at the end of the conversation, I'm going to open it and read it, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. I've marked the page. How? I'm sliding oh. my Slytherin notebook over to you. Yeah. Okay. There's a little ribbon. So at the end of the conversation, then I'm going to crack it open yes. and see if I said it. But you could steer the conversation to whatever it is, right? No, I will not. Okay. I promise I will not. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So the story is about a week ago… Uh, Lily Singh, who is one of the most popular YouTubers, a Canadian, announced that she's taking a break from YouTube. In her announcement, she said that I am mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. I'm not my optimal happiness right now. I could be mentally healthier. Um, Lily Singh, I think we've talked about her a little bit on this show because we were talking about new media and how it's funny to us, or at least my um, perspective was, it was funny that there were some members of new media who were getting so popular on new media or then new media that they were um, 
catapulting themselves back into old media because she's been making movies and she's doing TV shows um, and how interesting that relationship is. But anyway, the work of Lily Singh and many influencers and digital stars is not often, um, I mean, it's, it's obvious and yet I think that more and more we are hearing from YouTubers and Instagrammers about the relentless pace of their jobs. If you're an actor on a series, there's X amount of episodes. Yeah, there are. It's true. Or a movie goes X number of days. Right. But I actually think that the reason that YouTubers and Instagrammers are having maybe a, a burnout or a feeling of needing to take a break at a greater rate has more to do with Taylor Swift than I would have expected. Uh, if you are a YouTuber or an Instagrammer and you're very successful, it's all on you. It's all about you. Uh, Lily Singh talks about how YouTube and its format are relentless, that you always have to be providing new content. But the difference between being an actor who may work 12-hour days for, you know, six days a week for 22 episodes. So it's a long time. But mentally, some of those decisions are being made by other people, by the writers, by mm -hmm. the costume people, by the director who says, stand here. You right. may hate standing there, but it's somebody else making that decision. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that there's so much burnout in these person-focused brands is because you are the thing. You have to come up with every idea. You have to be the face in every idea and kind of make it all, it all filters through you. There's no, no matter how much staff you hire, people are still tuning in to get Lily Singh for Lily Singh, right? Yeah. It's also, I think, how the interaction with the audience works. Mm-hmm. You know, we, for the last, I don't know, 20 years since the explosion of the internet, slowly but not that slowly, but in a way where we weren't even conscious of it, we got more demanding. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it used to be kind of understood, like, that stars don't engage with people, right? Like, the hanging over a, a stanchion wanting to touch them or yeah. sign things or whatnot, that was the closest you were ever going to come. But then the levels of engagement of, yeah, responding to comments yeah. and engaging with other people and kind of growing that community. I think a thing, too, is that Instagrammers and YouTubers and anybody in new media, it happens on Twitter all the time. It, it happens. We are the perpetrators and beneficiaries also, is people kind of create networks of other people yeah. in media, shout each other out. They collaborate. They do things that cross over. It's, it's a lot going on. It is. And there is also the constant fear that you're on YouTube, but so is somebody else. So if you don't have a new video or if you don't have new content, then the person's going to be tired of coming to your page and seeing the same video that was posted two days ago, and they're going to go somewhere else and they're not going to come back. And in a sense, that is what we, the internet, that's what we did. Like we created the option of not coming back. You know, when back in the old, old, old days, when on television there was only three channels, you only had three channels. Yep, for sure. Right? Now you have 
unlimited channels. Plus you fire up your laptop or you turn on your phone or you like, you know, you go on your device and you have millions of YouTube channels and millions of web pages and millions of Instagram accounts. And I don't know. I think that there is something oppressive when you're like, there is something oppressive to it, or at least perceived to be oppressive when you're someone like Lily Singh, where you're constantly worried about the fickleness of the audience. Well, it's really interesting because I think that is sort of an open secret. And I think it's why you talked about uh, new media stars being repelled back into old media. And I think that was partly due to their notoriety, of course, but it was also an insurance policy. It was not so long ago that people were like, ah, YouTube, how long is that going to last? How long is stardom on YouTube going to last? Or, you know, the people who get book deals from a tweet or things of that nature. There was always a sort of sentiment of come back to the safety as soon as you can. I think people know and believe that there is a life cycle there or like Taylor Swift, (laughs) or it's on the YouTubers to say, hey, I have to establish a more regular schedule and trust that people will come back or that you retain an audience. I don't know. There are people who know all about this, but I don't know if anybody knows about this in a way that is an accepted thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It used to be that the time when shows didn't want to lose people, hour-long shows was at the bottom of the hour. At 8.30, you can switch to something else because something else might be on. Uh, Whereas, yeah, at 8 o'clock, you might be the best thing going. Yeah. But if you're worried every two to three minutes about keeping somebody there, and, you know, I've worked in digital quite a bit, and I really love it, and what you do is you have cliffhangers at the end of every episode, but that's for a finite story. Cliffhangers until you get to the end. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, see you next year or whatever it is. Again, there's no cliffhanger in being yourself. No. It's like, I'll be back the next time I'm back being me some more, which you love, but also, yeah, I'm exhausted just talking about it. I really related to this. I have to say, when I read this story, I really related to, I'm not a YouTuber and I'm not churning out that kind of content like where she's editing or shooting, writing, then shooting, then editing, then posting, and then doing it all over again. And yet I started many years ago, a website called laneygossip.com. That's right. My name is on the business. And so it was an established thing that I would be writing. I would be reporting. I would be commenting. And at a certain point, it became untenable because there was just so much news and so many photos. So we started adding writers. You were the first, right? You were contributing. And we started adding more writers. And there was a fear. I had so much fear. Yasik had a lot of fear. He was like, wow, you know, should we slow down? How many people were adding? Should we make sure that they each develop their voices first? Because are people going to run away? Are people going to turn away? Do people just want to come and hear from you? And so we've had to methodically introduce new voices. But the thing is, is that like what we couldn't say, and it's hard to say with Lily, I'm sure it was very, very difficult for Lily to actually send this message out there saying like, I I can't keep up with this pace. It was, it's, I couldn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel at the time that I could say, hey, I'm adding new writers because I can't keep up with this workload. 
Right. As opposed to spinning it like, isn't this so exciting yeah. and it's fun and it's this, all of which is true. Um, all The people, you know, this is not new news that the people who write on this site, we like, we all get along and enjoy each other and it's a good time and, and half the things we write about are things we would otherwise annoy each other on text about. Yeah. But the idea that, yeah, that you you know, that you didn't feel you could say, hey, remember when I used to write 5,000 words a day, I'm also now doing three hours of live television a day and I yeah. can't fit in the same thing. Like that felt like a a moment. It, it, it did feel like a moment. And yet Lily is expanding her empire, right? She's so successful on YouTube with the videos that she created. It created more opportunity for her to make movies, to do TV shows, to maybe write TV shows. She wrote a book. She wrote a book. So how many hours in the day is she going to have to continue to build this empire where she's still going to be able to like churn out the same amount of videos on YouTube that she was before? It's impossible. So something has to give or choices have to be made. One of those choices is going to be like, can you, or I had the luxury because the website is a website where you read coverage. I had the luxury of like, reaching out to talented writers I know, like you and Sarah and Kathleen, and saying like, hey, let's showcase your work and mine at the same time. And that will allow me to build other parts of the business out. We all have dreams. We all have ambitions. For her, it's especially difficult, as you say, because the content is, like the video aspect of it is much more difficult to share. Well, yeah, because it's not, you can hire a million camera people and writers, and I'm sure she has a massive team. But when you are your own self, that's what people are coming for. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, that's why people show up because they just want more you. Yeah. And I have read blogs over the years that were essentially just people's diaries and I miss them when they go and they do, you know, go when they don't turn into a business. It's a phase in people's lives where, Often because of what they've been writing, because of what they've been successful at, they don't have as much time to entertain me for free. Yeah. Which is basically what it is, right. you know. Um, and you miss them, but it's uh, it's one of those things where when you're branding yourself as the thing, there's only so much of you to go around. And so it makes perfect sense to me. It does. And, and I also, I mean, I hate to, I hate to sort of bring up gender here. But I do think that it is a pressure and, like, a suffocating feeling that is gendered. Yeah, I don't know why you hate to bring it up. I, I think… You know why? It's because, like, you're right. Why should I hate to bring it up? It's true. It's out there. I think that it's just because, hey, I just got affected and thank you for checking me, that, like, there are people out there who are always, like, not again, genderizing something. But it's true. Women experience certain things that men don't have to. And in particular, we love or I love Rebecca Traster here. In the past, we've quoted from all the single ladies. I'm currently reading her new book, Good and Mad. And she talks about mainly about the fact that women aren't allowed anger. You know, an extension of that, that conversation about what women are and aren't allowed, we're also sometimes not allowed ambition. Like… Uh, Lily Singh, who made her way doing these YouTube videos, then branched out and she's doing TV and writing a book 
And there are, there is a resentment. I know there must have been because of her feeling this kind of pressure not to let down people. And it got so bad where her mental health is being affected because the pushback is, well, why do you have to go for more? Like you were just doing, you were doing just fine. Well, but doing what you were doing, your thing. Right. But again, doing free entertainment for me sitting at home. That's right. It's the reason you have to do more is because we're not meant to do the same thing for 25 years. Like this is uh, an economic conversation that comes up. But, you know, the days of having parents who had jobs for 30 years is doesn't exist anymore. None of us are meant to be in the same phase of life for 30 plus years. And yeah, that can look for, you know, there are different signposts, right, for different people. For men, there aren't those same signposts. It's no. like, hey, look what else I can do. Yeah. And look what else I can do. When when you started talking about gender, what I thought you were going to say is that it doesn't seem like such a monumental thing for a man to say, you know what, guys, I'm going to pass on this. I'm going to take a few months break. In the same way that the way that, you know, the, the sentiment behind this article, the way it's written, taking a break, Even the face that she's making in the thumbnail of the video where she announces it, it looks like an apology. It it looks like she is so worried about disappointing people. And I know that look, and I know the feeling behind the words that she said, because I have gotten the same feedback. Laney Gossip started where it was just me. And then I got opportunities on television and added new writers in order to be able to accommodate everything. And the feedback was, well, well, she has to go do some TV now. So this is why this is happening on the site. And the subtext to that was, why can't you just stay the same? Sure. And I don't know that we say that to men. Why can't you just be satisfied with this job? oh, he, he, wants, he wants improvement or he wants more opportunities or he wants a raise or he wants a promotion. I get that. Yeah. And you know what else though, too, uh, as much as I believe you and I've read all the notes uh, and I, I know what you're talking about, I wonder too if part of the reason that that's the case is that women share more of themselves in work like this. When you brand yourself as Lainey Gossip or Lily Singh or... Uh, you know, something else that has your name in it. It's necessarily intimate. It inevitably isn't just about what you write because they can get that elsewhere, right? This is what people used to ask you in interviews all the time. Why do people come to you instead of Perez or or Jared or whomever? They come to you for something in particular, which is your personal aspect of things. And that's what people really gravitate towards. That's what this like micro dosing of the internet is, that each person can find somebody who belongs to them personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of men, by no means all men, and I, it's a guarantee that I just haven't been exposed to men who do that in the same way, but it is a common media template, I think, for women who are successful for using their own voice, right? It's personal. Yeah. It's intimate. Yeah. You know about their dating lives and dramas and parents and periods and whatever else. So it feels more like a betrayal when you leave. Or at least like branch out. Yeah. Well, I mean leave. Leave yeah. being at their digital beck and call. 
right? That every time you open your phone, there's yeah. a new Lily Singh video or a new Instagram post or whatever. It's it's interesting because, yeah, I'm trying to think of, obviously, you know, there are people on Twitter who tweet a lot or mm-hmm. not a lot and they're doing it as themselves or in, posts on Instagram a lot. But it's, the men are less intimate about what they're doing, I think. It's less confessional. Yeah. What I'd like here is that she hasn't committed to how much time she's going to take. You know, I have no idea is what she's saying. Um, And what she's saying too is, I have to take this time because I want to continue working. Oh, yeah. Like, look, my take on this is a slightly more anxiety-ridden, oh, God, if she doesn't quit, she thinks, or if she doesn't take a break, she thinks, she won't do those other jobs well, Mm -hmm. and everybody will find out that she's just a YouTuber. Please note, I'm putting scare quotes here. Yeah. And she'll essentially slide back into obscurity. Like, you have to make hay of these opportunities now, and you have to do them well, or nobody will hire you again. Maybe even somebody has said, hey… This thing you handed in was not up to snuff. Yeah. It's terrifying. Now, let me ask you this. In a workplace, a conventional workplace, one of the priorities is to ensure the health and safety of employees. That is why typically you have standard hours. In, for example, union environments, people have to take breaks every few hours or so. Sure. I'm I'm looking at you with skepticism because I think that that is uh, the standard hours are you know the maximum that uh, that capitalist societies have been able to get the work out of not because they're worried about the well being of their sure employees. I mean they're almost forced to you know by sort of a cosmetic need to appear compassionate yeah sure however those rules for the most part, are there in conventional workplaces, Mm -hmm. in big corporations. Mm -hmm. YouTube is a pretty big fucking corporation. For sure. But anybody who makes a YouTube video, of course, from the outside, can do it any old way they want, right? So, yeah, and that's my question. Lily Singh is not the first popular YouTuber to take a break. In this article that I sent you, which was a variety article, It says that uh, she has complimented other YouTubers who did the same thing before her. Um, And it may be, I don't know, a trend. Like if a popular person like Lily Singh is feeling this way and she cited the example, like it says in this paragraph, burnout among career YouTube creators has become a higher profile issue in the last year. And some in the industry say the Google-owned video services changing algorithms are fueling a rise in creative and mental stress. So back to the question, in a conventional workplace, you have some parameters, HR, you know, all that to at least give the pretense of caring about your employees' mental health and general well-being. Or, because I'm cynical, even if you don't care about their mental health, you care about their ability to produce, right? So uh, they need X amount of time off to be able to make the widgets. Here's the big question. Does YouTube have a responsibility in principle, in pretense, to look after their personalities? Right. Uh, Good question. I think absolutely not. Here's why. Okay. 
because, you know, it's it's a little bit like saying, do bookstores have to support uh, authors in their in their work lives? Um, YouTube is essentially the it's the platform, but these people have created careers based on being uh, themselves incorporated. Uh, you know, Lily Singh Inc., right? Or or uh, that guy whose YouTube career has been ruined after he showed terrible things on the air. Um, that was a whole lot of words with no <laughs> noun, but I know you all know who I mean. You're because driving. Because of Logan Paul? Was it? Yes, yes. Yes. You're all driving along going, that guy. Yes, yeah. Logan Paul. Um, I think, much like Taylor Swift, that it is on the YouTubers themselves to speculate about what a career might look like. Obviously, we all know not everybody's going to make it huge, but what what if you did? How long do you want to do this? I think the first time you sort of pass whatever a YouTube marker is, sure, they could send you a note that says, now that you've passed a million views or whatever is the, you know, the threshold, you might want to look into, one, a financial advisor, two, a therapist, blah, 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 blah. Um, but in terms of curtailing their audience or steering them towards, while well, Lily has a break, you might like so-and-so. I think that's more on the artists themselves to, who have the opportunity in a way they never have. Like this is the polar opposite of studios who used to work Julie, Judy Garland into the ground, right? Yeah. This is now, you are the CEO, you say when, you say how much. So I think it's about and I don't have advice on how to do this, but I think it's about those artists going, what do I want? How do I want to make this? How do I want to make it sustainable for me? The problem being, of course, you often don't know what's sustainable until you've been doing too much for about 20 to 29 months. I really do. I really love that Judy Garland example that you just gave, you know, the old, old studio system that just worked and worked and worked the stars to the ground to the point where, yeah, like, there's a shell of a person left and you've just, you've just, I don't know, drilled out. Yeah. You wore them out. And then when they were done, you got a fresh model. Yeah. As, as audience members, as fans, is, do we have a responsibility? Oh yes. That's Mm -hmm. different. I think we definitely have a responsibility to, um, in a number of ways, responsibility to the people you're watching. Again, it is free entertainment. So yeah, I think consume widely not just uh, to give people a break, but so that you don't get too myopic about any one perspective or any one group of people. Uh, I think that's the joy of the internet, but it's funny that you bring that up because yeah, if I had a, I like to think I read very widely and I still know there are all kinds of corners that I'm not touching and videos that I'm not watching. So yeah, try things. Don't be don't be like a child who's like, I only like corn. Like, check out new things and experiment with podcasts and and YouTube videos and things like that that you don't know. If it's a finite resource, the same way you save like episodes of a show or something, yeah. if your person is a finite resource, yeah, don't use them all up so quickly. Can I tell you the creepiest thing though? What? The whole time we've been talking, I've been thinking about – an episode of Follow This, which is the new factual BuzzFeed show on Netflix, which is really, really good. Right. And they have an episode uh, with a slightly different focus 
all about teen influencers and their parents and how teens are making all this money and their parents are essentially drawing a salary and working for them. So if you want to like dig into the people who could be making these decisions about what a YouTube presence looks like, they're 14 and BuzzFeed found them. 14. Uh, younger in some cases. Wow. It's it's a really interesting watch. Yeah. Okay, am I going to open it now? Yeah. Okay. You're My sad. prediction was not right. Well, now I'm going to be sad that I didn't. Aha. <laughs> Did like, you not say it on purpose? Don't be a dick. Uh, no, I did not say it because of this. I didn't think this is what it was going to be. Okay, everybody. So uh, we will post <laughs> this picture so that you see what it was that was in place here. The word that was written in the notebook was, of course, Hamilton. And I didn't not bring it up on purpose. I did think at one point about referencing when we were talking about men who have a different level of engagement uh, with their internet fans. I was thinking about Lin-Manuel Miranda, who has established his internet presence to be morning and night tweets, and that's it. He does his cutesy good morning, good night, and doesn't engage the way that he used to, but he has two kids and a million movies and whatever else is going on. Right. And nobody faults him for that. Nobody gets frustrated or like, "Eh, he's getting too big for himself. Everybody's like, no, more, more, more Hamilton, more Lynn, whatever. So I was going to reference him and I thought to myself, you know what, Duanna, diversify. (laughs) Talk about somebody else. (laughs) Well, I mean, just to put a cap on it, what – My immediate thought reading this, because you have indoctrinated me into Hamilton, was what happened to Hamilton when he didn't take a break. That is the thing that you took away most from the whole show. I remember that was one of the first things that you said when we left. You're like, oh, right. He really should have taken a vacation. Look at all the bad things that happened. I mean, his career essentially was ruined. Because he didn't go upstate. Because he didn't go upstate and take a break. And we have always said breaks are essential to good work. I mean, listen, we all need to recharge, but especially creatively, like imagination needs a recharge. Yeah. And to consume a whole bunch of other stuff. So take a break, put on like an original cast recording, (laughs) generate some new ideas. And finally, when talking about people who take breaks or don't, I was kind of surprised to see a trailer roll in, uh, a trailer that I knew was coming. And of course, it's Jennifer Aniston in the Netflix movie Dumplin'. And that's based on a book that was out, what, three years ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, Four, maybe? Yeah, four. Um, And... It's just, it's kind of delicious. I don't feel about Jennifer Aniston the way I do about Julia. Some people do. But. What? Oh, people love her. She is for an entire generation of dudes. Like, she's it. She is the, the original. And I feel like for that reason, she also imprinted on, like, a certain brand of woman as like, this is the woman to be. People love her. Listen, I'm going to say very nice things about Jennifer Aniston in this discussion. Nicer things than I ever thought I would say, but I can't like equate Jennifer Aniston and magic. 
That would be a euphemism for Julia Roberts. I, I understood <laughs> very clearly. I was reading what you were saying. Um, but here's what's interesting. So uh, Dumplin' came out. The main character is named… Is Willow Dean. Willow Dean. I was going to say Wilma Dean, uh, but that's from Deanie, Judy Bloom, another hero. Uh, Willow Dean is the main character. She is a misfit in a beauty pageant-obsessed kind of town. She's overweight. She's not necessarily conventionally attractive, asterisk, depending on who you ask. And Jennifer Aniston plays her looks-obsessed pageanty mom. Correct. In a tiara. In a tiara. <laughs> and like the the that frosted color of hair that she gets to a whole lot. And I watched this trailer and it's really good. It's really good. Better maybe than I thought it was going to be based on the book, which I liked but didn't love. Uh, same. Like I was medium on the book. Yeah. Medium to medium Medium plus. plus. Yeah, I feel yeah. fine about that. Um, the trailer, you're right. Totally took me by surprise. I was like, wow, it has been a while since I've seen Jennifer Aniston do physical, wacky, goofy comedy. Right. Because she is a comedian. This is kind of what got lost in her being everybody's dream girl. Or when she transitioned to movie star. Right. Like she's good at comedy. She was good. She got the role on Friends because she was funny. And then she became everybody's dream girl. It's yes. not the other way around. That's right. And I'm going to do something that's completely obnoxious, but I'm going to read what I wrote to you in the email pitching this for the podcast because it it's so great. Um, not my writing. That's not what I mean. <laughs> um, but what I wrote was, she looks horribly unlikable here, which is not a problem. Has Jennifer Aniston made a career out of being unlikable in a way that nobody else can? Or is it that she just has so much dream girl cred as Rachel that nobody minds? I think if you ask the average person on the street, Jennifer Aniston movie, what are they going to say? Oh, God. Um, along Came Polly? Interesting. I think they would say Horrible Bosses. Mm, okay. I have such an image of, you know, it's, you know what it is. It's that thing. She's got her shirt, yeah. her white shirt open. She's in a pencil skirt and there's some sort of dominatrix shit going on. Yeah. I think that people love Jennifer Aniston being mean. And I think she loves it too. And probably wrapped up in there is some like, oh, the cheerleader never liked me, like sex psychosis thing that people get off on, right? Yeah. But she's really good when she's mean. Really good. Like anytime she's kind of nasty or snappy or whatnot, you like it a lot. Um, to this day, I'm not sure she's replicated The Good Girl, which was the drama that she did with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. uh, and was it John C. Riley? I don't remember. Like I find that that movie was overrated. I didn't mind it, but she's never gone back to anything like that. No, I think Cake was an attempt a, a few years ago, um, but I think it was too obvious an attempt. Right. And I think that that is why she may have hit on something really, some really great alchemy with this. Because from the outside, while my dog uh, decides to drink water very loudly, from the outside, it's all there. Your quote unquote recognizable Jennifer Aniston. Pretty girl, Right. She's the mom who used to be a pageant queen. You buy it. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah. But you, the reason that you buy it is because she gets to get those sassy one-liners off that you have in your DNA from 10 years of Friends episodes, right? Well, just physically you buy it because like you buy that Rachel, I mean, what, the first scene that we saw Rachel in was wedding dress, wasn't it? Yep. Okay. So wedding dress and pageants. I mean, that's in the same family. Right. They created that whole character, Rachel Green, you know, daddy was a dentist and, you know, she had lots of money and the whole yes. thing. But then what happens is that she gets to lean into that stereotype of herself and like kind of thwart it herself, kind of like twist it up and mangle it by herself. Well, she is, it's brilliant because it's, she's playing a small time tabloid star a little bit. That's not uh, a literal translation. She's not a tabloid person, but in this small town, she is the equivalent of a tabloid celebrity yeah. who everybody knows and everybody watches and talks about. Jennifer Anderson gets to skewer her own life, like her own existence in that way. She knows that everybody has seen every bikini she's ever owned because of, there are thousands of pictures just of her with a hat awkwardly perched on her sweaty face while she's sunbathing. And she gets to kind of get out in front of it. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. And, but also not only that, I think she's also tapping into the fan base that first discovered her on Friends may also have children the same age as Dumplin'. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, she's connecting on all those levels and she's like, let me skewer you a little bit. You meaning that person? That's right. Interesting, because I... This is really interesting. Is it skewering other people or is it skewering herself? I don't or know. I think it's a combination of both. I don't, I think that line is an, like, I don't think it's a line. It's a membrane that allows access back and forth in both directions. And so this character, and if you've read the book, you'll know, is not wholly horrible. Like you use the word unlikable, but not detestable. No, no, no. Not right? a, not a cartoon. This is not a cartoon. So she has her flaws. She is maybe not as understanding of her daughter as she should be. Probably a very relatable parental experience. In the end, is there love? 100%. So there is that membrane that goes back and forth, but not too far. You're still within the organism. I guess what I'm most curious about and compelled by, though, is that she's made a career. She's a rom-com star by any sort of example. And she's made a career out of being a bit of an anti-hero, a bit unlikable in a way that her contemporaries haven't. You know, Cameron Diaz has been a sweetheart. Julia Roberts has played people's sweethearts. It's at Reese Witherspoon, like people want to put her in their pocket, even though election, even though we think that's her best role before uh, Madeline in Big Little Lies. I feel like Jennifer Aniston has always been playing a slight dick. And it's a little bit unprecedented for actresses who get the kind of roles that she gets. I'm just going to read you a small selection of movies from her IMDb, just okay. the ones that stick out. Uh, so we have, uh, Picture Perfect, I think it was the first big one that came out, but whatever, Picture Perfect, uh, The Good Girl, Bruce Almighty, um, Along Came Polly, as you pointed out, 
friends with money. Rumor has it, uh, he's not. He's just not that into you. Horrible bosses. We're the Millers. Horrible bosses too. There's nothing in here. And then right at the top of her IMDb, of course, is the untitled morning show drama that we know is coming, the Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon show that we've been so excited about. In none of those movies I've listed does she play somebody who is without flaws or sarcasm. She's never just the nice wife. There's always some edge to those people. Mm, I would debate that. Like, Bruce Almighty, she's the nice girlfriend. Okay. You you had to reach back far-ish, I think. Yeah. But. I mean, I see what you're saying, that there has been a subtle edge that she's gotten away with, that we don't associate that edge with her later. Well, that I'm going to push it one step further and be like, who else is allowed to get away with that? Like, Well, I think you brought it up, Reese Witherspoon. Mm, but it may be. Like, Reese Witherspoon, I think the reason that election worked so well is because it was seen as an aberration a little bit. I don't remember which side of Legally Blonde election was on, but Legally Blonde is Reese Witherspoon. Even in Dangerous Liaisons or in even in Cruel Intentions, she's playing Elle Woods, a, a toned down version, but a sweet, virginal, um, naive who just wants everybody to be nice. Like, that's sort of the brand that she's been in. That was Sweet Home Alabama. That was uh, choosing between two dudes. Like, she's sweeter, I think, or the brand is sweeter. Sandra Bullock's brand has always been goofier. Like, she's, she's allowed to be somewhat mean, but it's always in service of being sort of businesslike and goofy. It's the Jennifer Aniston characters have a little bit of a bitch to them in a way that is just rarely allowed. Well, here's where I'm going to take it if we're doing this comparison. Initially, like three minutes ago when you mentioned Reese Witherspoon and you mentioned her role in Big Little Lies, Madeline, I was going to interrupt you and be like, I wonder if Jennifer Aniston's role in Dumplin' is Reese's Madeline. Mm. But… I actually have to take it back a few years. This current iteration of Reese that we know, which is great actress, we've always known, but like an actress who seems to have taken it to another level and producer and acquirer of IP who can push projects forward and they win awards. I think it started with Wild and Cheryl Strayed. Um, okay. That movie was Reese in the most unflattering light, right? I mean, if you know what the story of Wild is, most people, I think, when like who are listening probably know, like, you it's know, It's funny that you was. say that. I think it's so uh, sympathetic. Like, it's like, oh, I have this struggle. It's a woman against the elements. Like, to me, it's the ultimate... Uh, it's a complicated person, though. Like, this is someone who was had a, like who was had an addiction. This is like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Not without issues for all, sure. Yeah, all those ugly parts yeah. in Wild that were that Reese Witherspoon was was dealing with. Um, that like you know your sweet home Alabama L Woods character was like out in the woods giving some guy a blowjob. You know, am I misremembering a scene? Because I'm distinctly. 
I'm sure you're I'm sure you're absolutely right. If I know anything, I know you're gonna catalog on screen sex scenes. So I'm not worried about the accuracy there. <laughs> oh. uh, so I would as I was saying, I would never doubt you where sex scenes are concerned, but you wanted to check. I'm checking, and of course, it brought me into you porn. Anyway, there was like an explicit scene where it's not super Reese Witherspoony in Wild, and I'm not saying that that's what like Dumplin' is going to be for Jennifer Aniston, but I do wonder if it makes obvious a side of Jennifer Aniston that has been overlooked as your thesis, I think you're saying in your thesis, that will be a catalyst to a next phase in Jennifer Aniston's career, much like Wild and that film were like a marked transition for Reese Witherspoon to move into like a much bigger, much more powerful phase in her career. Well, here's what's interesting about that. That, what you just described is a situation where until she had that role, people couldn't see Reese a certain way and then she had it and now they can't, right? Yeah. And I think what I'm talking about is almost the opposite. I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't think Jennifer Aniston has range. I think she can play one role well and, but very well, like really, really well. Which is kind of a dick. Which is kind of a dick. And I'm interested because of how long we've been told that female characters have to be likable and that the anti-heroes of kind of the first wave of the golden age of TV, when we were talking about Don Draper and Tony Soprano and Walter White were, that was fine for men, but shows with women in the same light, the closest back then might have been Enlightenment with Laura Dern or Nurse Jackie, of course, uh, were not seen as as incredible. People would be like, I don't like it. She's not nice. She's mean, which is not the same as you say as being complicated. But Jennifer Aniston has gotten away with being a bit of a dick on screen almost for her whole career. And I think we're just shocking ourselves all over the place here because I did not think I was going to call Jennifer Aniston a trailblazer, but I think we will look back on her career and go, wow, she rarely compromised to being only sweet, vulnerable, naive. She's always, she relishes the bit of a dick or she chooses well enough that she gets to t- do that thing where she kind of tosses her hair around, rolls her eyes, and you realize that she's only spending time with that guy because she's bored or whatever, and it launches the plot. It's very useful. I'm not going to co-sign that yet, but I am going to. I am going to make a point of watching this movie with that in mind. Yeah, and to be clear, I think it's probably the best thing and maybe groundbreaking that you can point to her and go, hey, well, these are dicks in movies and people like them and they were successful. And I do think this movie is going to be successful partly based on her performance because it looks amazing. Um, I think she could open up a lot of doors where you can point to this and go, well, if she can do it, why can't we do it here? Um, So that's my thesis. Okay. We'll see if it's proven. All right, so uh, what do we owe each other to watch for next week? What are we currently yelling about each other about? Well, well, what? You're mad about the Americans Was your way of getting me to talk about the Americans? No, not necessarily. I just want to add it up. You're mad at me about the Americans. That's fine. I still want you to watch Homecoming. 
Duanna, I'm fucking on, like, I just finished episode seven. They don't have sex. They have not had sex in I don't know how many fucking episodes. On the plane the other day, I was watching on my iPad. Yasik was sitting next to me. They kiss. Elizabeth and Philip, they kiss. And he's, like, looking over my shoulder. And they cut to something else. And I fucking looked over at him and he already knew what I was pissed off about. Like, my face was this. And he was nodding. He was like, I know, because he wanted to see it too. He's actually into Carrie Russell. Netta, you just said the magic phrase. He wanted to see it too. They are giving what you… What happened to it? They're giving you what you need to draw you in, not what you want, so you can have quick gratification… So how many seasons am I going to have to wait to get some pounding? Like, just tell me now. Not that long. I mean, pounding is a, is a, and they have sex with other people in the meantime to keep you interested, but uh, uh, not that long. And by the time you get there. I don't want to see Stan pounding anything. On that note, thank you as always for listening to Show Your Work and argue with us, yell at us, email us, tell us what you think. Thank you for all the emails about Bananagate uh, and what happened with Meghan Markle's ripe bananas. Uh, we loved all the theories as far-reaching and conspiracy as some oh of them were. Oh my God, you guys had a lot to say about bananas. Thank you. Um, send us your emails about what's going on at work. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter uh, or Instagram or email or wherever else we live and remember to subscribe uh where you get your podcasts and leave comments we'd really appreciate it helps people find us so we can yell at them through their ears some more till next time bye bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.